This is Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 and 13. If you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word, Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 and 13. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. Pray with me, please. Lord, we thank you for your word today and how you are teaching us to love each other through your law. And I pray, God, you would open our ears, open our hearts to the things of God. May we receive it and may we run after you. Father, in all that we do and all that we say, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Friends, please be seated. Friends, over the last two Sundays, we have studied the first four of the Ten Commandments. So as a reminder, let's review these four commandments and let's remember what they taught us. So on the screen, you're going to see the slide that we used the last couple of weeks. The first four commandments teach us about our relationship with God. I call this our vertical relationship. And in these first four commandments, God is teaching us all about worship. How should we properly worship him? What should that relationship look like? And we remember that the first commandment teaches us the object of worship, that we're to have no other gods before God. The second commandment taught us the means of worship. The third, the manner of worship. And the fourth, the time of worship. And what God is saying is that we first need to get our relationship with God correct. Because if that's not correct, we can't move on to our relationship with other people. So what the Bible is teaching you in these first four commandments is a proper relationship with God. Now, today we make a transition. Today we move to the second part of the Ten Commandments, and we'll put that on the screen. This is man's horizontal relationship. In other words, man's relationship with his neighbor. So as a review, let's see what these commandments are teaching us. So we're going to start this today. We are called to look out Right After we look up to God, we're called to look out to our neighbor. And first of all, we're taught to honor our mother and father. We're taught not to kill, not to commit adultery, not to steal or lie or covet. So after God has established a relationship between man and himself, he now teaches us how to relate to each other. Now, what is the purpose or the summary we said a couple weeks ago of all these commandments. Do you remember a couple weeks ago we learned that you can kind of turn to the end of the book and see the summary, see the, the summary points that explain all the things in uh, Exodus 20? Because in Matthew 22, Jesus gives us a summary of the law. Let's review that. Jesus was asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
as we said a couple weeks ago, let's be reminded again today, what's the summary? What's the main point Jesus is teaching us? In the Ten Commandments, dear friends, Jesus is training our hearts and our minds to love God with everything that we are and to look out and to love our neighbor as ourselves. These last four weeks, we have learned how to properly love God. So let's transition now to this horizontal relationship. Looking today at the fifth and sixth commandment, how are we, dear friends, supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves? Let's look back at verse 12 as we talk about the fifth commandment. Verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. Now, a couple weeks ago, you might remember, we used the shorter catechism to help us learn this. Today, we're going to do the same thing. The catechism is simply uh, questions and answers that teach us theology, teach us doctrine. So we're going to put these questions on the screen. Now, the catechism for every commandment, it, it has two questions. What's required and what's forbidden. So first of all, question 64 asks, what is required? Answer, the fifth commandment requireth the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, and equals. Well, what is forbidden in this commandment? We'll look at this slide. The fifth commandment forbiddeth the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongeth to everyone in their several places and relations. Simply put, friends, the fifth commandment teaches us how to relate to each other within different contexts, within different and various relationships. That could be our marriages, our employments, even within the church. But the most obvious relationship that this commandment focuses on is that of the duties of children towards their parents and then parents towards their children. So let's kind of zoom in on that and talk about the duties of children towards parents and parents towards children. Okay, now, <clears throat> let's just step back. So teenagers and children, if you can hear my voice, I'm talking directly to you right now. Let's ask this question. What are the biblical duties of children towards their parents? In other words, let's answer this question. How can you honor your mom and dad? How can you honor your mom and dad? Well, what does honor even mean? You know, when we study the word honor in the Bible, it means to value something very highly, to respect to revere. It means to consider something very, very precious. So maybe the first question to ask to our children, to our teenagers this, this morning, do you consider your parents precious? Do you revere them? Do you respect them? 
The Bible calls us to reverence. This is Leviticus 19.3. The Bible says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Dear teenager, dear child, the Bible calls you to revere and to honor your parents. Now, you might ask, well, how do I do that in my life? What, what would God be calling me to in my life that I might honor, revere, respect, see my parents as precious? Several things. And again, I, f- I forgot to mention this, but all of this is in your bulletin. It's on the back of your bulletin. There is an, an outline of this. I hope that that is helpful to you. But one of the ways, dear children, that you can honor mom and dad, the Bible says, is by listening to them. Listening. Here's what the scripture says. This is Proverbs 1. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The Bible here calls children, teenagers, to open your ears to listen. That one way you can honor your mom and dad is to patiently listen and receive what they have to say. And I know, having I'm raising two teenagers right now and have another one who will be a teenager, won't be that long. I know many times, maybe the last thing that you want to do is Listen to mom and dad, but I want you to see how the scriptures are teaching you today. The, t- the scriptures are going after your ears, going after your heart. They're saying, you know what? Your mom and dad love you, and what they're telling you is actually for your good. It might sound ridiculous to you, but kind of try to see beyond that. Your parents love you so much, and they desire to teach you the things of God, open your ears and listen to them. That's a way you can honor your parents. But then the next one is obedience. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to hear and then do. But this is what the Bible says, Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. This pleases the Lord. Children, teenagers, understand that when you actually obey your mom and dad, that is being pleasing to God. If you desire to be pleasing to God in your life, the Bible says obey your mom and dad. Can you do that? Is is that something that uh, you are striving to do in your life? And I know we talk about obedience This really would mean first-time obedience, right? Not after being asked a number of times, but first-time obedience. And then let's go to this next one. Another way to honor mom and dad, receiving reproof and correction. That means when maybe you have something that needs to be corrected in your life and your parents want to talk to you about that, can you openly receive that and accept it? Did you know that the Bible teaches us that you can tell the difference between a foolish man and a wise man by the way that person receives admonition or receives correction? Let's put it on the screen. This is Proverbs chapter 9. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, 
And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Here's the situation. On this side, you have a foolish man, or what's called a scoffer. And on this side, you have a wise man. The situation is the same because they've both done something wrong. They both need to be corrected. But you can tell the difference in being foolish and being wise by the way they handle correction. The scoffer, the unwise man, when someone comes to this person and corrects him, or maybe for something that he does wrong, what does he do? According to this text, he steps forward. He steps forward to strike. He wants to harm the one that is correcting him. You see it in the text. The scoffer, whoever corrects a scoffer will get himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. That the wicked man, the unwise man, doesn't want to hear it. And they might lash out, maybe physically, maybe verbally, with insults. So there's this step of aggression forward. But on this side, when the wise person is corrected, he doesn't step forward to strike or injure or verbally assault. He kind of steps back and says, you know what? Thank you for telling me this. I recognize I'm not perfect. I recognize I need to receive this admonition. Let me step back. And by the way, thank you for telling me this, that I might learn more. I love you for telling me this. That's what the text says. He loves the one who reproves him. So I have a question for you as children and teenagers. Which one are you as you deal with your parents, as you deal with your teachers, as you deal with people over you do you want to step forward or do you want to step back think through that can you accept receiving reproof and correction the wise man the bible says will love the one who corrects him lastly children another way that we can honor our parents is kindness towards our parents when they're aging. Proverbs 23, 22 says this, Do not despise your mother when she is old. Caring for your aging parents. We remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, how he cared for his father, Jacob, when Jacob was old. So Think through that. How can you be helpful to the ones who loved you for so many years as you were growing up? This is a way to honor your parents. So think through that. How do you honor your parents? Reverence, listening, obedience, receiving reproof, kindness to your parents. Now, parents, doesn't that sound like a great list? Sounds like a great list, and don't you wish it was just automatically that way? I think the problem that we have is that we all as parents recognize that things just aren't naturally that way. And by the way, it's because our children come from us. They are sinners. Their parents are sinners because their parents are sinners. We are all fallen. We are all in need of grace. So now that we've talked about children's 
relationship to the parents. Let's talk about parents. What is that relationship to the child? Because knowing that our children are fallen, just as we are, we recognize that our children need to be trained up in the proper way that they might honor their father and their mother. So now let's flip it. Let's ask this question. What are the duties of parents towards their children? As we study the scriptures, we see many. Here's a summary of some of them. The first one is care and provision. Parents, we are called to care and provide for our children. 1 Timothy 5.8, the Bible says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially the members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So parents, our calling is to care for, is to provide. Just as God cares and provides for us, we are called to care and provide for our own children. But secondly, there's training that, need to go, that needs to go on. And it's training without provoking. Here's what Ephesians 6.4 says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The Bible talks about times when parents can go too far that they might provoke their children either to anger or with their anger. Anger does not produce the righteousness of God, dear friends. So rather than doing that, let us train and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Training is kind of an athletic word, right? Training goes on for a long time. And there's a plan for training. Uh, Parents, we are called to train up our children um, in the Lord making sure the word of God is in front of them. And it leads to the next one, which is prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Parents, we're called to pray for our kids, to pray for their salvation, to teach them the doctrines of scripture, to teach them the truth about God's word, to teach them right from wrong, good from evil, to, to teach them that there is a God And that this world is filled with so many false gods that they're going to be tempted to follow. But they need to seek after the one and the true God. We need to pray for their souls and their hearts. Next, we need to encourage them. The Bible says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. A good word to your children. An encouragement to grow in the grace and knowledge. An encouragement to seek after God. An encouragement to do what's right in the sight of a holy God. Also, discipline. Here's what Hebrews 12 says. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Parents, right here, the Bible's talking about God disciplining his own children. And just as a father, the Heavenly Father disciplines us, as parents, we are called to discipline our children. And the last verse of that text talked about that Discipline is not pleasant at the time. Amen? I mean, hey, we can all identify with that. Let me read that again. For the moment, discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
But see the big view, the long-term view. It says, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, the big picture of discipline might not be for the moment. It's going to be for what's later in their lives. Bottom line. Parents, we are not called to be our children's friends and buddies. We are called to be their parents. And our prayer is that one day, yes, maybe we will become friends with our children. But when we are raising our children, we need to give them what their friends can't and won't give them. We need to give them this care and provision, this training without provoking. We need to give them the prayer and the encouragement and the discipline that God is calling us to give them. Why? Dear parent, I want you to know, remember the summary of the law, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Because when we as parents, when we care and provide, when we don't provoke and we train, when we pray and encourage and discipline, we are loving our children. Okay? We are loving our children. We are loving our neighbor as ourselves. And as a reminder to our children, when you revere and listen and obey, when you receive reproof, when you care for your parents, you are loving your mom and dad. The summary of the law is to love your neighbor as yourself. And this commandment is teaching us how to do that, dear friends. Well, let's look at this, this next commandment this morning. The sixth commandment. The Bible says, you shall not murder. Once again, let's look at the catechisms. What's required? What's forbidden? Question 68. The sixth commandment requireth all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. Question 69. The sixth commandment forbiddeth the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. You know, a lot of times when people see this sixth commandment, they only think it's physical in nature. You know, physically taking away someone's life but did you know that Jesus says that it goes further than that? Jesus is going to teach us that murder can be an attitude of the heart. So with that in mind, let's examine three things, particularly about murder. Number one, the reason that murder is wrong. Secondly, the preservation of life. And then lastly, the heart attitude of murder. Again, you can follow along in your bulletin. First of all, what is God's reason that murder is wrong? Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Friends, this verse teaches us that the primary reason that murder is wrong has to do with the image of God. Now, this takes us back to creation. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when God created man, how did God create man differently than all other parts of creation? Do you remember? God made man in the image of birds? No. In the image of fish? No. Or plants? No. How did he make man? In his own image. 
man received something that all of the parts of creation did not receive. That is the fingerprint of God. God made man a spiritual and a moral being. And we see that God has a very high and exalted view of his own image. So much so that in this verse, it tells us that you should not murder because you are taking away what God gave this person. That is the image of God. You're trying to remove that. So there's a direct connection between creation and murder. This is why, dear friends, it is so important that you and I have a proper view of creation. Because if you deny Genesis 1 and 2, you're denying the sanctity of all human life, which is the image of God. And if you deny the image of God, you walk away with this man-made basis of life that will lead us all down a terrible, horrible path. But secondly, let's look at the preservation of life. Friends, I want you to know that the Bible teaches us that Every life is important to God. From the baby in the womb to the senior in the nursing home. From the five-star athlete to those who are physically and maybe mentally disabled. Whether you are from North America, South America, Europe or Asia... Africa, Australia, or Antarctica, it doesn't matter. You're made in the image of God. And Jesus, in his own life and ministry, taught us the importance of the preservation of all of those lives. Think about it with me. Was it not Jesus who said, let the little children come on to me? It was Jesus who had ministered to those who had been disabled for years. It was Jesus who had compassion on the deaf and the mute and the blind. Right before Jesus died, what did he do? He saved a thief on the cross. He shared the gospel with people of other races and ethnicities. We think about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You see, while Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy Jesus comes to impart life and life abundantly. John, the the prologue of John says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. But let's lastly look at this point. Because the Bible talks about an attitude of heart being connected to murder. It's not just physical. It can be an attitude of the heart. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You see, friends, in this text, Jesus says that murder is not just a physical act. He goes beyond it. He says that every thought and word that seeks to destroy a man's life, we're talking about 
murder. Here's what 1 John says, verse 3, 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus is going to the heart. By the way, the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is aiming at your heart. What's your heart attitude? Sinclair Ferguson summarizes it this way. He says, clearly Jesus does not mean that it makes no difference whether we gossip or stab like with a knife. But he does mean that both activities reveal the same animosity of heart to our neighbors. No wonder the New Testament gives clear teaching about controlling what we say. Our words are the index of our true spiritual condition. We see, dear friends, the importance of having the right relationships with each other. Remember, we're talking about how you love your neighbor as yourself, right? We're talking about an attitude of heart towards our neighbor. And the Bible teaches us that having right relationships, not only with God, but with each other, are necessary and they're urgent in the Christian life. Here's what Ferguson says again. We'll summarize this. He says, animosity is like a time bomb. We don't know when it will go off. We must deal with it quickly before the consequences of our bitterness get completely out of control. Most human relationships are destroyed. Uh, that are destroyed, could have been preserved if there had been communication or right action at the right time. Jesus says that the right time is as soon as we are conscious that we are at enmity with our brother. Don't put it off to tomorrow. Dear friend, if you are not right with your neighbor, the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger, on your wrath. Jesus says Go to that person and make it right between the two of you. And dear friend, there's five words I encourage you to, to use in your Christian walk. And it's the same five words I've taught my children since this, they were this high. This is profound. Are you ready? Write this down. Don't forget this. I'm sorry. I forgive you. I'm sorry. I forgive you. This side of glory, we're going to offend each other. We're going to mess up. And there's times in our lives where we need to humble ourselves before our brothers and sisters and apologize. There's also times, dear friend, when we who have been offended against need to forgive those who have, who have sinned against us. Jesus says, you have been forgiven so much, therefore go forgive others. Every time in your life someone does you wrong, I encourage you, forgive them because Christ has forgiven you. And don't let any animosity in your heart of hate towards your brother. Dear friend, I hope there's several things that we all, including this pastor, can take away from this text today. As a reminder to our children and our teenagers, if you're asking how can I love my mom and dad? I encourage you. Honor them by revering them, listening to them, then taking it one step further and obeying them. Receiving their correction, not wanting to strike them when they give you correction, 
but stepping back and saying, you know what, thank you for telling me that. Let me receive it. Let me think about it. Let me ponder that. Care for your aging parents. Parents, how can you love your children? Care and provide. Train, but don't provoke. Pray for them. Encourage them. Encourage them. Discipline them. Give them something that their friends can't give them. You're not called to be their friend right now. You're called to be their parent. Praying one day you can be their friend. Go give them what their friends will never be able to give them. And as it relates to murder, dear friends, I encourage you, see life the way God sees life. See that we are made in His image and that God has a very high view of His image See the way Jesus himself in his own life sought to preserve life and examine your heart. Are there any thoughts, words that you're using that seek to destroy another person's life? If there is hate in your heart, I encourage you, repent. Repent. Turn to the Lord Jesus. Repent. Maybe turn to your neighbor. Repent. Go get that right between you and your brother. I'm sorry. I forgive you. Just as we have been forgiven much, let us forgive each other. Let's pray together.